Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill of other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Okay, so how do we start this? Did you hit your record button? Yeah, record button's hit. So I guess we're we're live. You're listening to The Dig. What is up, Nuggets fans? Welcome to The Dig, a Denver Nuggets podcast examining one theme every other week. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jeremy, who is the social media manager and a contributor at Denver Stiffs. What's up, Jeremy? Dude, that win over the Golden State Warriors, I'm still feeling the high off of that one. Could not be happier. A little later, we're going to be joined by this guy named Lad. It's not that I hate the Lakers. It's, I hate Lakers fans. Right? <laughs> I hate Lakers fans. I'm in Starbucks yesterday. Who doesn't really know a whole lot about basketball, but he's entertaining, so we're going to bring him on. Okay, so a quick explanation of what we're going to be doing this season on The Dig. We're going to be recording every two weeks or so, and so we'll have about five, six games to look back on, and we're going to pull a narrative out of those games. Something that's a dominant theme that ties this stretch of games together And we're going to approach that narrative from several different angles. And we have uh, different segments that we've worked out, some ideas that we've come up with that we think will be entertaining and informative. But we're going to try to keep pulling things back to the theme as much as possible. Uh, No doubt we'll have a free-flowing conversation. Uh, This group that we've assembled um, tends to go off on tangents. And we uh, may ramble a little bit at times, which we'll try to rein back in. But we want to kind of keep it focused around this theme so that you come away from the podcast with a, a definitive narrative for where the Nuggets are. I think what we're going to be hitting on is is that thing that everybody who watches the Nuggets, they feel in the back of their brain, in in the back of their heart. They It's going on in front of them, but they haven't quite tied it together themselves that's where I think we can jump on. It's going to be that feeling where you hear us say it and you, you say, yes, that's exactly what's going on. I've been seeing it the whole time and I think I've been saying it to my friends, but maybe not quite as put together as what I'm hearing here. And- or in other cases, it could be that there is a dominant narrative developing that we disagree with um, or that... no. That, no, that's never going to happen. I completely, <laughs> completely disagree with you. That will never happen. Yeah, specifically with the national media who watches about one Nuggets game a year when they play the Lakers. So the theme we're going to be developing this week is leap year. 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 
Do I expect to make the playoffs? Yeah, I think that's a goal that we've given ourselves uh, since last April 11th when we lost to Minnesota. Uh, the pain of that loss and not making the postseason has been a great motivation for all of us. And we're going into this year um, embracing the talk of being a playoff team. It's an important year for the Nuggets. It's a year that a lot of players are poised to take a leap. It's a year where a lot of national pundits are saying the Nuggets are primed to take that leap. And so we're going to analyze that from a number of different angles. Uh, yeah, if, if you're a Nuggets fan, it's something that you've been thinking about all summer. Uh, forget what the, the national media is saying. It's, it's, we're the ones who have gone through the pain of missing out by one game two years in a row. But that's nug life. That's um, uh, that's a phrase that that we know and we say kind of with pride, kind of with with pain. Uh, it's it's something you say when something is right in front of you and you should have it, but it just slips out of your grasp for whatever reason. Whether that's uh, something like signing finally an all star free agent only to lose them to an injury, or whether that's uh, making like it to the Anthony Western Carter Conference, not being able to make an inbound exactly. pass in the Western yeah, Conference exactly. Finals. <laughs> That's usually the first one to any long-term Nuggets uh, fan's memory. Um, but yeah, so in front of us, we have to figure out, is this a leap year that we actually make that leap? Or do we fall victim to Nug life all over again? So the team is poised to take a leap. Uh, individual players are poised to take a leap. Um, we have some new guys. We've got some guys coming back from injuries. We've got guys... Uh, being promoted. We've got guys like Nikola Jokic who needs to take one more step and become a true superstar on this team. So, let's dig in. So we want to have a look at the last three games um, that we've just been through. Uh, we're also going to include in this podcast some season preview stuff that we recorded last week. Um, we try to get it edited and we've been um, doing some work with our sound quality and things like that as we get started so we weren't able to get the episode out before the game so we wanted to make sure that we covered the game so that we stay up to date so we are going to have a little bit of season preview stuff with Lad a little later where we uh, go through our Western Conference rankings and just kind of generally talk about the season uh, moving forward but we're going to start by talking about what we've seen now over the last three games. Winners and losers. All right, Jeremy, give me a winner from this week. Um, one I was really surprised about was, I'm going to say Malone. To me, he looks like the guy who, out of anybody at this point, three games in, has um, come the farthest, uh, furthest. He's made this into a defensive team. We're the number one ranked defensive team in the NBA right now. Actually, one stat. So, so the one thing I was hearing um, all over the place was that after the game was that we are the only team that has held their opponent under 100 points all three games of the season for the first three games. I was like, "Wow, that's crazy!" And then I just yeah, because came, well, we're seeing this crazy offensive explosion right now in the NBA. I mean, I can't remember seeing so many 130, 140 point games yeah. in one week, let alone yeah. in the first week of the season. Yeah. But well, so so an even better stat is uh, there's and to go to your point, there's only been seven games that uh, has had a, a team below 100 points, and we have three of those games. We have three of the seven 
uh, under 100 yeah, point games crazy. of the season. I, it's unbelievable. I said last night when we were chatting about this that I think this is maybe the best stretch of defense I've ever seen the Nuggets play. And I, I, I said that, and then I thought about it. Well, that's probably an overstatement. I'm sure there's been some good defense in the past. But I'm having a hard time coming up with a stretch of games where they just they just seemed to be playing with the kind of effort you have to play with on right. defense to play right. good defense. To me, it and looks to do like... it against quality opponents. To me, it looks like I was trying. I was asking myself the same question, um, especially during the Warriors game, and and I was saying like, what's different here? And I saw guys moving. It was hard to nail down, but it looked like guys were moving faster and more uh, specifically to their spots. And when they got there, it almost felt like they were less out of control. We have less guys jumping into players as they shoot. Um, they're more under, under control. They know when to go, and they're following it up. Um, ev- everybody's rotating correctly, where it's not just one guy who flies crazy at a guy shooting the ball, and then all of a sudden our defense falls apart because there's four other guys standing there watching. Um, it, it's it's guys who are rotating one after the other after the other. So it, it's been um, – that's something I think we can continue with. You know, I don't know if we're going to be the first defense – um, in the NBA all season, but no. I, I can see that effort continuing. Yeah, I mean, that's half the battle on defense, or 80% of the battle on defense. Um, I became a Tory Craig believer last night. Interesting. Um, I know I was on Malik Beasley because of his shooting, and I think in some matchups that still will make sense. Um, and of course, I mean, Beasley's going to get minutes. It's not We're not talking either or here, but... Torrey Craig's defense on Kevin Durant last night was everything you could possibly mm-hmm. ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, he made life life tough on him. Of course, Durant hit some big threes. Um, he got under his skin a little bit in the in the third quarter. Yep. Durant got uh, ticked off at the refs, and you could tell that he just he was having a frustrating game. And I think a lot of the credit goes to Torrey Craig. Yeah, he played really well, um, and that was one thing uh, that we were talking about where. Maybe his shooting uh, isn't quite there, but um, this is that effort that you want to see. You know what this reminds me of is a big question now is, is Millsap broken on offense? Um, I, I actually thought, it, to me it felt like he was, shoot, he was hitting well on shots under five feet and then missing everything else. And I went back and looked at it, and honestly, he's 35% within five feet. And then he is two for ten outside of five feet. So he's, he's, his offense right now is broken through and through. Is he a player like Torrey Craig, where we were like, this guy's not adding anything to offense, but, um, but is he, is he adding enough on defense? I'm okay on Millsap right now. Um, he can't even catch a pass. At the moment. <laughs> yeah. Like he fumbled, <laughs> he fumbled so many passes last night. Or just simple handoffs, or just he'd start dribbling and lose the ball. I, I really don't think he just forgot how to play basketball. I, I think I think he's just super rusty. I, I really do. I think, uh-huh. um, I mean, he had a little bit of time to get going again last year. We've had a you know long off season. He didn't play a lot. I, I think he just, uh, there's just some cobwebs he's still shaking off. I, I really think that's, that's what this is about. If in two months um, he's averaging 10 points on... 35% shooting, then mm-hmm. I, I think we've got a big, big problem 
on our hands. Um, mm. the, the nice thing about Millsap, though, is he always at least adds something on the defensive end. And right. I thought that was true again last night. I think he, he had some some big-time plays. He had some big-time screens, got guys wide-open shots and layups that, you know, are d- just some of these little things that you that don't show up on the stat sheet, but where he's really adding value and, um, and a certain grit to this team, too, right. I feel like, on defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another aspect of this trying to define what they're doing so well on defense was uh, in the paint, um, Jokic looked to be moving up and back pretty well, but there are those plays that are executed where no matter how fast he moves, no matter how, how well he makes the rotation, he's going to give something up. And and Paul Millsap was there. There there were some great plays where those two guys working in the paint were making it really hard for the Warriors to get anything done. And and that's where I'm actually kind of okay. In two months from now, if he's shooting 10 points a game on 35%, um, if the team's looking like they're looking right now, I'm actually kind of okay with that. Um, he is 33 years old. I don't have high expectations of his offensive production uh, over the next few years. Um, and, and, you know, who, who knows what his future looks like with, with the Nuggets. I think there's a good chance he comes back, um, maybe out on a lower contract. But that's exactly who we want to see next to Jokic. Jokic is the key here, not, not Millsap. But to have a player like Millsap who can bring what he brings to this team, you mentioned grit, you mentioned his, uh, his, his defense, um, that works well. And again, if he's the fourth or fifth seed, or, or not seed, but uh, shooting option, I, I've brought this up with Barton a few times um, and, and in my defense of Torrey Craig. Um, he's doing everything that he needs to be doing. So um, I'm okay with it. You know, I'd like to see more, but um, as long as those <laughs> bird, bird man hands that he's developed, those, those bird man talons, a uh, <laughs> guy could never catch a pass. Uh, I'd like to see that come back, and maybe that is cobwebs, like you mentioned. At least keep our offense flowing better. Yeah, I think it'll come. Um, we've got to talk about Murray. The first game against Clippers, um, I don't have his numbers right in front of me, but my note was Murray was really quiet. Uh, So really not much notable in the Clippers game. Uh, At least that was my immediate reaction right afterward. Uh, The Suns game, he had a really good game. Uh, He went uh, 26 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists. He had 2 steals, and he was 3 for 7 from 3. So he had a really solid game there, but again, against a kind of inferior opponent. And then last night, rough, rough, rough game against the Warriors. Mm -hmm. Three points, two rebounds, two assists. Kind of a non-factor, and he was out on the floor for starters minutes. Um, What's going on with Murray? Is there anything we should be concerned about here? I know there was some talk at the beginning of the season that Murray might step in as the Nuggets' number one scoring option this year. I still I believe it. Yeah. Why? I do. Um, for starters, uh, Murray is, at this point, even though it's only his third season, renowned for slow starts. Um, that was actually one question that uh, uh, Denver Stiffs' Zach Mikash asked him <laughs> about in uh i forget I, I think it was media day and and he hated that question he i forget what his reaction was but he like instantly moved <laughs> he flipped on. him off 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the thing was, well, maybe this was finally the the perfect situation where he didn't have a serious injury this off season. He was with the team. He was practicing. Like maybe this would be the season where he doesn't have a slow start. Obviously, that's not really the case. At least three games in, it looks inconsistent at best. But um, um, I, I, I still, I, I, it's impossible for me to to not see him um, coming along the way that we've seen him progress. And for Jokic to be at where he's at right now, where he's proved he's more in control of this offense more than ever, uh, he's a guy who always looks for the the best option. And I think only now is he realizing that a lot of the time he's the best option, even though he doesn't have what we'd call like an A shot. He might have like a B minus shot or a C plus shot, but in the situation with four seconds left and nobody else open, he at least knows that he needs to take that shot. Um, but but I still see him saying, "Does Murray have an A shot? I'm going to put to Murray." And if Murray starts hitting more, which I expect him to. Um, you know, another thing is that it looks like he's banged up right now. So um, that's a guy that could have been. Um, I think it was Marlowe or, or Hastings pointed out during the game that um, there was this one point that he could have completely posterized one of their guys with a dunk, and that's the Murray that we know. And he kind of went in light and, and went for a little weird layup that he missed. He was missing missing all sorts of layups that he doesn't normally. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely got banged up last night. You know, he came out for a bit. He had a what was it, a thigh contusion or a calf right, contusion yeah. or something like that. Um, so yeah, he he didn't look right for sure last night, and and that very well could have been the injury, especially coming off a hot game against the Suns yeah. the night before. Something else I want to point out is. This game against Golden State was the second on a back-to-back yeah. on a Sunday night. Great point. And they had Gold a Golden State rest. was rested. Yeah. So the horrible shooting. I mean, oh, <laughs> the free throw shooting in the Golden State game um, was some of the ugliest stuff I've ever seen. We had Jokic missing two free throws up there. It was totally contagious. Um, they Fire had Mark Price. some sort of virus. <laughs> that infected all of them at the same time. It was crazy. I don't think I've ever seen a team just totally fall apart on the line like that before. Because you have a lot of good free throw shooters on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, yeah, they hit. I mean, anybody who watched the game last night knows. I mean, they you know if they hit. I don't know if they only miss ten free throws in that game, they win by ten right. points or right. twelve points. It's not even really that close. Um. So I'm not I'm not too worried about that long term. I, I chalk a lot of that up to fatigue. I think uh, they played three games in four nights. The last game being the toughest, and I think we definitely saw some fatigue stuff. But what's so encouraging to me, and exciting about this team, and something I don't think we've seen from this bunch before, is that they toughed it out. Right. They figured out a way to to win it on little plays, on scrappy plays, on defense. Uh, making Golden State work for everything that they could get. I mean, they held Golden State to 98 points, which alone is amazing. The fact that this is their third straight game holding opponents under 100 points. I mean, last year it was like kind of a running joke that if the Nuggets could hold anybody under 100 points, it was like a guaranteed win right. for them. Right. Never happens. Um, so, you know, talking about, about leap year on this first podcast, and, you know, when we developed that theme, we were originally... Um, looking forward as kind of a season preview. This is the year the Nuggets need to take take that leap. Well, I think in the first three games now, we've seen a leap. 
this is a different defensive team than it's been in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to point out um, something that I kept seeing. It's something that I felt, and I didn't want to say it. So I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed here because everybody else started saying it. I saw the word special show up on our social media all over the place last night. And I even wrote some of these down. Um, at Dylan Times said, this team is special. That was the first, the first comment that we got. Uh, Guillermo Chihada said, I know we're only three games in, but this team, this season, just feels special. And then Mike Carr said almost the same thing word for word. Um, Johnny Reynoso said, our defense has been tremendous. This feels different. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Um, and, oh, and then there's some guy named Brent who said, it's too early for this. And so congratulations, Brent. You just got brought up as the joke of the group. How dare you? It's too early for this. Get out of here. This feels different. It's a feeling. Right. It, it, we're not trying to quantize the entire championship into these three games. We're just saying something feels different. So, um, and, and that's completely true. Uh, it's not like everything has gone perfectly. We've got Barton's now out. Murray's been banged up. The offense doesn't look like the offense that we know. Um, but we're seeing something that to the, the entire fan base that on this day is feeling different. And, and I love it. So we didn't have a chance to talk about this before, but and we're we're a couple games past this. This has been discussed, but Jokic's triple double against the Suns in Game Two this season was almost the immaculate game. Uh huh. Here's something that's just incredible to me. So his line was thirty five, twelve, and eleven. What jumps out at me more than that, though, he's had lines like that before. The eleven for eleven, yeah, shooting. And the zero turnovers are huge numbers that immediately jump out at me on that line. And he had four steals and a block in that game. <laughs> so he was playing defense while putting up one of the the most efficient triple-doubles. In order for Russell Westbrook to get 35 points in a triple-double, he has to shoot 28 times. <laughs> Jokic shot 11 times in that game. So, That's and, crazy. And, and, and so he was still able to be a facilitator. The offense is moving through him. It's not stopping at him so that he can get his stats. And that's yeah. what I thought was just so tremendous about that game. It really was it was the perfect Jokic game. Uh-huh. Yeah. And really a, one of the most perfect games we've seen since what it was nineteen sixty seven. Wilt Chamberlain was the last time somebody scored over thirty points in a triple double without missing a shot. Yeah, how many only comparisons guy in history? to Wilt are gonna happen here? It happened last season. I think it was Wilt's record that he beat for the fastest um, triple-double. Um, Jokic yeah. is, is... How many records does he have to break before the national media gives him any attention at all? But, but yeah, I, the perfect game got me thinking about... Uh, there's, a, there's an image that we've enjoyed putting out there on our social media that has Jokic as the Broncos quarterback because they need so much help. But... Uh, <laughs> I, that was completely a 158.3 perfect passer rating game, right. um, career game out of Jokic right there. You know, and something else that I've noticed about the offense, um, while it's not the free flowing ball that we saw last season, uh, a phrase we've been using is is the ball's popping. Um, what I've seen in all three of these games is that. It, the the plays still go the 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 plays still go around Jokic and when they break 
it's actually been interesting to me. When they break, they just reset. They find Jokic, they put the ball back in his hands, and it's like they start all over again. Um, it's it's a little bit more slowed down, but it feels more intentional as the play develops. Um, it feels more confident. Um, so rather than playing like loosey-goosey and the, the ball pops over here, pops over there, um, something doesn't go right, it, it skips over there, somebody grabs it, like keeps popping around, it feels a lot more controlled where, okay, if it breaks, the ball just goes back to Jokic, Jokic looks around, the things start building, the pressure starts building, and then boom, he starts executing it, the ball pops for a couple seconds, basket either goes in or it comes back out and they reset. Um, to me, that's a lot scarier as a def- defense because you feel that pressure too. Jokic is getting the reputation at this point where the longer the ball's in that guy's hands, the more pressure, the more concern I have defending against him and making sure that I'm guarding my player and switching correctly when, when the ball starts moving. So um, as much as our points aren't as high, the totals aren't as high, um, I'm really curious to see where this develops. Do we go back to the free-flowing ball popping or do we just see a stronger, um, more controlled, more fierce attack out of Jokic and the entire offense? Yeah, I mean, in order for the Nuggets to take a huge leap this year, I think we, we all thought there was a couple main things that need to happen. Defense, number one. They have to play defense. They have to just be a middle-of-the-road defense. If they're 15 or above on defense, they can take a big leap this year. We also talked about Jokic really needing to step into the role as one of the best players in the NBA, a superstar. And what that means is whenever he has the ball, he needs to be a guy that's going to create something and where every shot he takes is seems like a good shot, <laughs> even when he's contested. And I think he's getting to that, to that point. You know, you watch Steph Murray, um, KD, you watch LeBron, these guys will shoot some stuff and you're like, not a great shot for anybody else. But... For a superstar player, they make those shots a lot of times, and so right. the, every shot for them pretty much is a good shot, um, with it within reason, obviously. But Jokic had a, a number of times last night where, where this came up, where especially in the third quarter, he just kind of got in the mindset to, to take over a little bit, and for a stretch there for four or five minutes, he was the best player on the floor, and the offense was running through him, and he was he was taking some tough shots and hitting them over guys, and that's just going to continue to develop through the year. I know. There, there was a lot of talk in the offseason about how toward the end of last year they decided Jokic is our best player and we need to really work around him. And Millsap went to Jokic and said, you're our best player. This is your team and we really need you to take the lead. I, I don't know. It took a little while to get there and everybody's saying now they have to convince Jokic of that. <laughs> right. But I think hopefully he's starting to realize um, with the start that he's off to and the last month of last season that he had, that he is one of the legit top 10, top 13 players in the NBA, however you want to you want to parse it. But he is one of the best players of the NBA. And the more the ball is in his hands and the more he is the decision maker and, and he is the one taking the tough shots, the Nuggets are going to be fine. Predictions. Okay, we're bringing Lad in. He is currently the talent coordinator at Sephora Cherry Creek. Welcome, Lad. Hey, guys. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Love the show. Hate both of you. 
I, I want to know what that job even is. It, I understand talent coordinator maybe for the, the whole company, but Cherry Creek Mall? That's not your world. Neither is basketball, so um, <sighs> we should probably talk about all the ways you've been wrong on everything you've said so far. So we're looking at predictions for the season. With the leap year theme, uh, we're looking at the Nuggets taking a leap this year, right? So they didn't make the playoffs last year, barely. What's it going to take for the Nuggets to get into the playoffs this year? Winning one more game, <laughs> like, or like, one I don't more know, beat the Timberwolves. Though. Beat the Timberwolves when it matters. Um, maybe um, Butler leaving the Wolves is all it's going to take. But I, I actually think the Nuggets are set to be pretty comfortably in the middle of the playoff run. Like I, I'm thinking, um, they're looking good, right? I'm thinking four or five seed. So NBA.com has. The Nuggets as the fifth best team in the West. Um, they have them tenth best overall. ESPN is actually really similar. They have them sixth in the West and tenth overall. Also, where do we think they're finishing? I think Golden State finishes first. I, I don't see how Golden State doesn't finish first in the West. What do you guys think? Is that yeah? Is that just a given at yeah. this point? Yeah, absolutely. So just like a, is that is that science? Is Golden State finishing first in the West just science? I feel like Houston had their shot last year to take over the mantle. They they were they were hungry. Um, Golden State was bored, to be honest, through the regular season. Um, Houston took that mantle, got the most wins last last regular season. I think we see things kind of shift back. I think Golden State maybe comes out a little more serious this year. They've added Boogie Cousins, who is going to want to win. Um, they'll get him back in the second half of the season to give them a boost. So maybe later. I, yeah, I think it's or maybe even later, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to predict Golden State on top though. No matter when it happens though, no matter when he comes back, I mean, you don't put the best center in the league on the best team in the league and it doesn't work. Like I I just don't see that not working, especially with what they've built there. So, yeah, I 100% think regardless when Boogie comes back, they're the number 1 seed in the West. Houston takes a fall to me too. Like the mellow thing. Mm. Yeah. I don't think mellow is as detrimental to Houston as it appeared he was uh, to the Thunder, but it's definitely an impact, right? Losing the defense, getting mellow. Like I think the Rockets take a step back, but I don't feel like it's a significant step back. I think it's just a couple of steps back, allowing Warriors to be one. Rockets are two. And to me, after you go one, two is where everything gets super interesting this year. Just like last year, right? It was a roll of the dice last year from Absolutely. three to eight, basically. So let me throw this out there. Portland was the one who kind of stole the show last year in that next tier down. Um, are they in that conversation this time around? I feel like Portland's in the bottom of the conversation. Like yeah. I feel like they're that seventh, eighth seed. Like They're the ones that are barely making the playoffs to me. And, and keep in mind, right, it was a three-game difference from the third seed to the ninth seed last year. So it probably – I think it will be a tight grouping again. Maybe not as tight, but to me, Portland's not there. I think the next for the three seed, to me, it's got to be the Jazz. Yeah, I agree. Are, are the number three seed right now. I think they just build on what they did last year. They get stronger. I mean, obviously – They've got a, a super star point guard in the making, and to me, Jazz are solid in the three spot. Yeah, I have them at the three, too. 
you won't get an argument from me. Are we sure the Lakers are a playoff team? No. No, that's crazy. Everybody's talking about them uh, being like fourth in the West, yeah. fifth in the West. I think Bill just, Simmons a couple of days ago said he had him third in the West. That's and that so they were going to be the me. major storyline of the of the season. I think anybody who is a legitimate um, fan of the Lakers, like beyond the whole like let me just buy a jersey and put it on so I can hang out with people kind of a thing, a, a legitimate fan of the Lakers, if they make it into the playoffs, there's going to be a collective sigh of relief across Los Angeles. So the fact that people are even talking about third or fourth seed is crazy to me. They do not have a balanced lineup whatsoever, and then what depth behind that? I don't argue the fact to immediately put them at the third seed is crazy, but I think they're a lock for the playoffs. I, you look at what LeBron does, who he is to the team. He provides everything the young core of the Lakers needs to take the next step. I don't think you discount either. Um what Rondo brings to that team from a leadership perspective, not even what Rondo does on the court. I'm just talking about a leadership perspective. To me, Rondo was an absolute leader on the Pelicans, and I think he's going to be an absolute leader on the Lakers. I think the Lakers are a lock for the playoffs, but I'm going to throw them closer to seven or eight. I don't think they're a lock up top. I think they're a lock down low. All right, so who are we kicking then? Because right, Lakers look. didn't make the playoffs last year. So we've had some injuries here. Um, I, I I think San Antonio was already on the cusp. And now after losing Murray, you know, things are looking rough. Um, things are looking really bad for them. I, I think San Antonio is on the bottom. I agree. There's a lot going against San Antonio this year. Yeah. Um, it, this is a storyboard, though. When's the last time San Antonio... Did not make the playoffs. But when's the last time their roster looked like this? Ugh, it's. Do we rough. have a stat guy, Nick? Do we have a stat guy? Call <laughs> the stat guy. I need to know the last time the Spurs didn't make the playoffs. I think it was we 1970. 1972, I think was was the last time. Call in the stat guy. The, okay, <laughs> I'm becoming the stat guy. You guys go. I'm statting over here. All right, look at look at what we're dealing with with the Spurs here. Okay, Popovich. Go. Popovich deals with tragedy last year. He's lost Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili. His whole original core is gone. So how much are they going to get from DeMar DeRozan? He is not going to fill Kawhi Leonard's shoes. Right, and what's Popovich going to get out of him? Because we know who Popovich works with. It's a type of player. It's um, It's somebody who grinds it out. It's somebody who listens to coaching. It's somebody who plays defense as strongly as they play offense. And and what we saw in LaMarcus Aldridge was – on, I think that's like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of a thing. That, that was a guy who made a transition. He wasn't a Popovich player, and he became one. Are we really going to see lightning strike twice in consecutive years with LaMarcus and then DeMar? I, I don't see it at all. Pau Gasol's about, what, 55 at this point, too? He can't be getting any better. Oh, yeah. But he's Pau. You mean Jokic? <laughs> we'll get back to that later. Oh, the hot take. That's a terrible <laughs> comparison. Powell his best assists, maybe four assists a game. Is that what you're going what you're what you're trying I'm to do? I'm just saying Jokic is Powell. He cannot I'm I'm we'll get back to that later. I'm not comfortable at this point with Jokic as a leader. And maybe that's a big storyline for this season. I mean it is what it is. Look, guys, the 
The Spurs. The, the Spurs. Spurs have not missed the playoffs since 97. So all that said, it still makes me nervous, right? Popovich, in my mind, is the greatest coach um, our generation has seen maybe of all time. The dude's amazing. Their front office is amazing. I, I don't think you can count them out completely, but to me, they're the team that looks like they fall. Okay, I agree. I think, yeah, I think we see Portland take a step back. I think we right. see the Spurs take a step back, potentially out of the playoffs. I mean, can Minnesota possibly? Right. Oh yeah. Possibly absolutely. hang on. I think Minnesota's close too. I think they're right on the board. To me, the team's falling out is and at the bottom, right? It's it's the Blazers, it's the Timberwolves, and it's the Spurs. I think Pelicans are still that second tier. I mean, I guess we should just get into the fourth seed, right? I mean, we've got Warriors, Rockets, Jazz. Right. To me, this is where the Nuggets come in, right? I think the next two mm-hmm. you have to look at. It's it's Nuggets and Thunder, and you can flip-flop the order That's in my mind. That's exactly how I way. feel, and I'm actually pretty upset that I agree with you uh, on this to, to such a strong degree. I, I have Jazz at three, and I have a complete flip-flop in, in Nuggets and Thunder. And I'll take it a step further. I think that whoever gets home court advantage, whoever gets fourth seed there, is the one who makes it to the next round. Because I think Thunder, we've, we've seen what we were able to do to them last season. Who can for, forget Gary Harris's like champion moment um, pulling that game winner at the end? We, we've seen what we can do on our court. And we know how bad we are away. And when you throw in on top of that, Russell Westbrook playing a game seven and us playing away, like, do we really think we can win that? I don't think so. But uh, honestly, like, I feel pretty good, like, about our chances if we have home court advantage against them. So that's going to be really interesting how that falls. And again, it could come down to one game. Yeah, I mean, Westbrook also, it's very rare that Westbrook doesn't play at just and I mean he all in my mind again I, I know we argue about Westbrook but Westbrook always plays at a high level I feel like he always plays at a higher level against the Nuggets which is a, a total conundrum for me because I love him I love the Nuggets it, it's very rare he doesn't bring his A plus game against the Nuggets and tear and and quite frankly how could he not right our right. guards this is our defensive hole right right our guards cannot stop him and there's not a lot of help when he gets to the lane so he i mean the thunder could present a lot of problems for us their offense counters all the weaknesses in our defense or exploits right all the weaknesses in our defense so i don't think that's necessarily a lock for us winning i I agree with you man whoever gets the home court could take it in that series but i think it's going to be very close at our sixth seed, I see the Pelicans. I think that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, Anthony Davis, <laughs> while not the best player in the NBA, as he likes to claim now, I think he was still a revelation. He's still amazing. They got better when Boogie left, which is weird. Um, I guess it's not always just Did a they? given that a team I, – I don't think they got significantly worse. They had a stretch, but then – like. They rounded out the season extremely yeah. strong. Yeah. So maybe not in the short term they got better, but once they figured it out, I would say they were a better looking team toward the very end of the season than they were the beginning of the season. So I, I think they're good at number six for me. I don't have them. So they're a hard team for me to figure out because we saw a really inconsistent kind of odd play. Actually, um, one of my favorite Jogic plays was when they thought, hey, there's a bad defender. Let's just ISO boogie on Jokic and win this game. And I think we went up uh, 28 to 8 when they tried that. So so they were hard for me to figure out. But then when I went back and I looked at the statistics, because I was ready to call them out for the playoffs, completely ready to throw them to the side. 
I look, went back and I looked, and their statistics were so incredible against some of the best teams towards the end of that season. It, it, it's it's become impossible for me not to include them in the playoffs, but I don't know where they fall. So we'll see what happens. At this point, injuries seem to be already creeping up into a, our narratives for next season. Um, you know, if if the Thunder still – if Roberson isn't the quick defender, the quick tit, twitch defender that they had, if San Antonio's falling apart, if Minnesota's falling apart, maybe just by um, by subtraction, addition by subtraction, they move on up because they're solid – but they still have to fight for it. We know that's true, true about the West. I mean, I think we all agree Timberwolves are the one team that's almost impossible to figure out where total they land wild right card. Yeah, right? Yeah, total yeah. Wild, total card. wild card. Everything's dependent on what happens with Butler, where he goes. If Butler leaves, to me, that team is not good. Wiggins is a bust. I'm sorry. Wiggins might oh, have all the talent in the agree. world. He's, he's a bust. He's no good. Towns... To me, Towns is everything that Nick thinks Westbrook is. He chases stats. The most overrated player in the history of the NBA. I'm not willing to go there with Towns just yet, but I do think he's overrated. (laughs) I think Towns is way overrated. I think he chases stats. Um, I think this is the fundamental problem Butler has with his team, right? These guys have all the talent, but they don't work hard. If Butler leaves, and look, by all accounts, Butler's leaving that team, right? It's just a matter of when he leaves that team. So to me, the Timberwolves are are kind of close to falling out of the conversation. For me, after the Pelicans, I'm going Lakers. Like I said, I, I think LeBron does everything that he needs to do for that young team to take the next step. And you just look at what LeBron does, like his impact, right? Cleveland was garbage before LeBron. They were garbage after LeBron. Then he comes back. He brings them right up to, you know, championship again when he leaves they're going to be garbage in the east so i know the west is more difficult but lebron is the best player of his generation um he's the best player that we've seen since jordan undoubtedly i think the argument can be made that lebron is in the conversation for the best player of all time he doesn't go to a team with young talent like the lakers and they don't make the playoffs so i've got them solid in the seventh spot i think there's a divide here, when it comes to the conclusions about where the Lakers make and where we come to the conclusion about how great LeBron is. And the divide is that we've never seen LeBron play in the West before. So I think it's, I think it's possible to keep intact the argument of LeBron's greatness, but remove the potential for the team that he's on when he's playing in the West. So I'm not ready to count the Lakers in as a, a, a at six. Is that where we have have them at with you? I, I have them at seven. Seven. At seven. Yeah. So I yeah. just had them at eight. Right. But I, I the the Lakers have a lot of problems, and I don't feel super confident about putting them at eight. Even so, you were talking about Rondo earlier, lad. Um, they have two Rondos. Was Lonzo Ball can't shoot either, and so you have two guys that are playing sort of similar positions who can't be spot-up shooters for LeBron. I'm not entirely sure how this how this works. It's not like the team is loaded with other shooters. They don't have any other guys who can go out and get their own buckets, really. Uh, maybe Brandon Ingram, maybe Kyle Kuzma turn into those players. Um, but as it stands right now, they're too young, and you certainly can't rely on them in a, in a tough West playoff race in April, I don't think. Here's... I hate to say this because 
It's not that I hate the Lakers. It's, it's, I hate Lakers fans. Right? <laughs> I hate Lakers fans. I'm in Starbucks yesterday. Um, you know, early morning, got to go get the makeup runs done. So I'm in Starbucks to get my caffeine. This lady is standing right behind me. She comes in hot, right? She's in my space. She's just coming in hot. Um, this is yesterday, right? She's got a Broncos jersey on. She's super excited. She's like, hey, going to the Broncos game today. Can't wait. I think it's going to be cold, but I'm super excited. I'm like, awesome. I was like, yeah, it might be kind of a rough day for you. It's going to be cold, and the Broncos are obviously horrible. They're going to lose bad today. She's like, oh, no, no. I'm a Rams fan. I just had to wear this to go to the game. And then she just lays into me about all things L.A., as as Laker fans do, right? She's, uh, I'm not only, but my Dodgers won. Super excited about that. And my Lakers are going to be awesome. I'm, I'm a huge Lakers fan. So I'm trying to bite my tongue of all the things I want to say to her. And I'm not very good at it. So I'm just like, yeah, Lakers fans suck. <laughs> I just basically told her. I'm like, you're a problem for me. I bet right now you cannot name the starting lineup of the Lakers. Maybe even – and I'll give you – like, even though you might say it's not set, I bet you can't name more than three players on the Lakers right now. She's like, oh, no, no, I – I can name championship team in 72. I'm, I'm a real – notice she never answered my question. She did not name the starting lineup, much less three players. But, no, no, I've, I've been a fan since 72, championship team. I, I love the Lakers. I'm like, right. Just like every other Lakers fans, you don't even know who's on the Lakers. You just know you're a Lakers fan, right? Eh, gold, I'm a Lakers fan. Whatever. And then she goes into how she hates LeBron. Like, you are a Lakers fan. Now I believe you're a Lakers fan, right? You're, like, a legit Lakers fan because you don't know your team. You clearly don't know basketball, and you hate LeBron. Like, you got the best player, and you're mad about it. And I'm like, why do you hate LeBron? I don't know. I just hate LeBron. But that's Steph Curry. He's awesome. Like, what is going on? This is why nobody likes the Lakers fans. And it makes people not like the Lakers, even though, you know, you should show a little respect to the Lakers. Their fans have no idea what's going on. Suffice it to say, I don't like Lakers fans. Now I know where I was going with that. I don't like Lakers fans, yet I'm totally intrigued to watch the Lakers this year. Because the narrative of the Lakers is, or the narrative of LeBron, is you surround him with spot-up shooters, right? That's how you surround LeBron with spot-up shooters. That's how you win. Yet the Lakers are saying, you know, Magic is saying, we're going to go a completely different route. We're going to go against, you know, the traditional wisdom that says this is how you build a team around LeBron, and we're going to build a completely different team around LeBron. That's his uh, Sephora uh, scent. LeBron. LeBron, yeah. (laughs) But this is why I'm so intrigued to watch the Lakers. They're doing something – yeah, they're doing something totally different with LeBron. So how is it going to work? I, dude, I don't know for sure, but I think they're, you know, that seventh seed. I think they'll have some success, but it's going to look different than any other LeBron team we've ever watched. And I think that's interesting. Just to clarify, in case people haven't heard this, Lakers are talking about playing with a lot of pace this year. Right. Which and they LeBron are. is supposedly bought in. They've done that in the preseason. Do we think that's going to be sustainable through the course no. of the year? LeBron has never played that way. And even if he says he likes the idea of playing that way right now, that's not how he plays. Right. He's, a, he's an Eastern Conference player. He walks the ball up. Last season, he had like a career year. And one of the things everybody was saying about it was he's figured it out. And he, he even talked about it. I wish I had a quote for you now. We need Stack Guy. Where's Stack Guy? Stack Guy. Stack Guy. Stack Guy. It, it, is him. that he would literally take plays off. Like on defense, he would just walk. Yeah. Totally. 
And, and okay, like even nothing against him. The the man is forty eight years old now. He knows how to play basketball, and he's learning when he's important better than any coach ever could. So now he's playing in the. They're going to be the fastest paced team in in NBA history. Yeah. And it's easy to it's easy to say you could take plays off or you did take plays off in the Eastern Conference when you're playing the Orlando Magic in February. You're coming to the West now. Look at the Suns. Look at the Mavericks. Look at the bottom tier teams in the West right now. These are going to yeah. be competitive teams. Right. LeBron's not taking nights yeah. off. If he takes nights off, and not only that, he's the only so, uh, solid good player on his team. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of young talent that could develop. But right now, he's the only guy that's going to go out and get his own shot. Yeah, you've got... The West is made up now of 20-year-old uh, foot eleven gazelles that run at 30 miles per hour. So, good luck hanging with those guys. It's going to be interesting, man. And the same thing as far as taking nights off. I mean, Lakers got a lot of young guys, right? They had guys that were taking nights off or not coming hard, and they could afford to do that. They could afford not to play at their best every night because no one's prepping for the Lakers, right? It's a foregone conclusion. Lakers come. There's going to be some ball nonsense, whatever. We're going to beat this team. But now every single team is prepping for them, right? Every single team is preparing for the Lakers. They're going to see the Lakers coming on their schedule, and they're going to bring their A game. So those young guys are going to be in for a season unlike they've seen too. All right, so we – sort of skipped past the Nuggets. We just sort of all assume the Nuggets are going to be a playoff team and they're going to be a middle round or a middle seed playoff team. Why are we making that assumption? This team didn't make the playoffs last year. And the the theme that we've developed for this first episode here is that this is the Nuggets leap year. Why? What's going to happen this year with the Nuggets that helps them to catapult from playoff outsider to middle seed, playoff contender. We're talking about a Nuggets team that two seasons in a row have been one game out from having a playoff spot. And now, when we look at the age, when we look at the progress of this team, is this a team that uh, was hitting their stride two seasons ago or or was even um, falling off at some point last season? Or is this a team that is one of the youngest cores in the entire NBA? Obviously, the latter point is is where I'm, where I'm going here. This is a team that's gained better year after year. So if you have a team that is on the very cusp of making the playoffs, this is that leap year because they're young, they're 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 figuring each other out, they're healthy. I mean, Jamal Murray didn't even have a real offseason last year because of uh, surgery, so. The, the ability for these guys to, to, to practice together all offseason. They met up in Atlanta. They met up in Las Vegas. Not because the coaches called them to do this. They did this on their own. Uh, Paul Millsap has been healthy. For the first time, he's actually pain-free. We saw that last season where, where even though he came back from injury, he would, he would hold that wrist weird or, or, or something like that. We have a healthy team, a team that's been playing together for years now. Um, and a team that's that's young, where their futures, their brightest part is in front of them. So not only are we getting a playoff spot, but when you look at some of the other teams we were contending with, getting hit with uh, either health or uh, psychoanalytical issues in Minnesota, that we're looking pretty good. We're looking. This is the leap year. Yeah, to me, I don't even think you need to make it. Uh, 
maybe this is the wrong, but yeah, we shouldn't have a Nuggets podcast where I say we don't need to get into the Nuggets a lot, but it, it's a simple conversation. Paul Millsap healthy, there's the leap, right? We missed the playoffs by one game. We had Millsap gone for half the season. I think a healthy Millsap coming in for an entire season, that alone, just having Millsap for 40 more games, you can't tell me that doesn't get you four more wins, right? Four more wins takes us to the third seed last year. So even if every other team were the same, they didn't have all that chaos going on, you get the Nuggets. Obviously, Jeremy, you know, experience growing, that's great. If all things being equal, you have Millsap healthy for the entire season. You get 40 more games out of him. That's at least four wins. That throws the Nuggets at that solid four seed. I do think if the Nuggets just stay still, if this is if this is just an... Uh... Another year in Murray's progression, another year in Jokic's progression, and Millsap coming back healthy, I don't know that that's enough to get them to the 4 or 5 seed. I think there's a couple other wild cards that have to come through. I think we got to get something out of Isaiah Thomas. I think he has to become a major scoring threat off the bench. If he does... Look at the bench. We've got Isaiah Thomas. Trey Lyles seems to be taking a step forward. Another guy who could potentially have a leap year. And if he does, that's going to make a huge difference. So I think even the even the starters, um, we don't know exactly what we're going to get from Will Barton. It's got to be better than what we got from Wilson Chandler, Chandler last year. But I think we, we need to see a under-control Barton. Uh, we need to see a Barton that fits into the offense, who doesn't go hero ball. And we need to yeah, see the but, D improve. And if those things happen, I think we get to the fourth or fifth seed. But there are some question marks there, I think. Agreed, Nick. But here, here's what I'll say. And you know I'm not the biggest Barton fan in the world. But, I mean, this is where we need our stat guy again. We need to get a stat guy stat on guy. staff. I'm pretty sure Barton playing with the rest of our starters was one of the Nuggets' most efficient lineups last year. So I believe Barton coming into the starting lineup will be a good thing. It can't be worse than Chandler, obviously. It can't be. But I honestly think Barton will curtail some of that hero. And this is this is a big thing. It's going to be if Jokic steps up as the leader, he needs to be the vocal leader on this team to control Barton. I do think to some extent Barton will rein some of that in, and I think he's going to be a good fit with the starters. The only concern I would have after that is our bench is super thin at scoring, like you said. right? It, we have to get scoring from Isaiah Thomas. I'm not as sold on Trey Lyles as everyone else is right now. I know he's looked good in the preseason, but preseason means, you know, exactly nothing, in my opinion. Preseason doesn't really tell us anything. So until he does it in games that matter, I'm not convinced that Trey Lyles is going to be the scoring we need off the bench. So our bench is a giant question mark when it comes to scoring. I will give you that. Yeah, and let me go back, Nick. Not to be combative here, but... I appreciate the idea that they need to work for it, that we need to solve some problems, that there's a whole list of issues that we can work through here. Because there is. There is a whole list of issues that we can work through and improve this team. But to go back to your point that Lad mentioned Paul Millsap being healthy and you know the young guys taking a leap, uh, not being enough to get them to that four seed. You're telling me that Paul Millsap being healthy... Even even just that. Let's say the other guys play the exact same. Paul Millsap being healthy for the entire season is not enough to, to overtake that third seed, not even talking about fourth seed. Yeah, because I don't think the bottom of the West is going to be as bad as it was last year. 
So, uh, although the Nuggets are really bad against Fair. bad teams, Fair. Um, which is something they really need to, to clean up. But will they, considering the bad teams are better than they were last year? Um, yeah, you're right. I just see the West. I, yeah, I see the West rising. The fact that LeBron's in the West now, that's a, a huge addition. That makes the Laker games uh, much more difficult. The Suns games, we've talked about that before. I think the Suns are going to be difficult. I think the Kings are going to be competitive. Um, so I really now, I think- hold on. That's a hot take right there. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You were saying some semi-smart things. The Kings are not going to be good. <laughs> Completely this agree. Year. Good. I did Get out of here. I did Get not out say of good. here. I said we just lost our la- we just lost our last listener. He's like, oh, the Lakers aren't going to make the playoffs, but the Kings are going to be good. I'm out of here. And he wasn't even here for basketball. He was here for free Sephora giveaways. It's true. <laughs> even that guy is offended yeah. by you. <laughs> Get out of here. Keep going, but the Kings are horrible. Get out of here. <laughs> I said competitive is all I said. Um, I actually really like the Mavericks. I think the Mavericks. Might yeah, Mavericks take a year. step up. And, and but Grizzlies, I'm a big Grizzlies Luka one guy. So, oh, you better. Yeah, anybody who I see who isn't a Luka guy is is automatically a Lakers fan. That's the only. There's two bubbles. 100% Luka fan, yeah. Lakers fan. They make up 100% of the NBA audience. But. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I really like your point because I think the Mavericks are going to take a huge step. I think the Grizzlies won 22 games last year, and they did that oh. without their all-star point guard and their all-star center. So they're getting both those guys back. Yeah, that place and, is a nightmare to go into and play with that defense, yeah. with Gasol back and Conley they're, back. That was a team be, that was completely irrelevant last year. Right, and they were a playoff team for how many years before that? They're going to be right. pushing for 40 wins. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. And the Clippers somehow got even better. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot going on there. You're right, and it, it's not like the Nuggets didn't get anything out of Millsap last year. They didn't get a hundred percent out of Millsap. They didn't they didn't get full Paul Millsap. He is also a year older. I mean, do we know exactly what a hundred percent Paul Millsap is even going to look like at this point? Doesn't matter. They could get a fifty percent Paul Millsap. They have them all season. It's going to equate to four games because we, right. we don't need a hundred percent. We don't need a hundred percent Millsap. Right, we need a fifty percent Millsap. Yeah, we need the young guys to take a step up. Fifty percent Millsap is better than one hundred percent Fareed. Oh, <laughs> fair. <laughs> I honestly, at this point, don't see why we don't ship the Kings to the Eastern Conference, pull the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Sixers into the Western Conference. The Western Conference is now just the NBA, and all the entire Eastern Conference is just a developmental league. I like it. <laughs> The, top, the, the teams that finish in the top four of the Eastern Conference get to go into the Western Conference the, the year after, yeah, like, uh, yeah. like English it's Premier like League champi- style. Yeah, it's, it's a Premier League. It's Champions League. Mm-hmm. I like it. Absolutely. All right, so I'm going to round it out. My final playoff team, my eighth seed in the West. I think it's got to go to the Blazers, and I hate yeah. it. I don't want Nurkic yeah. to make the playoffs. I can't stand Nurkic. I think the Blazers make the eighth seed. I think there's just too much going on in Minnesota. I think the Spurs are too weak, and they just don't have the talent. And the Clippers we haven't really gotten into, but they're just forgettable. I don't know. To me, the Clippers are just forgettable. They're probably decent. They're not super good. They're not super bad. They're right on the edge. I think the Blazers round off the playoffs hunt in the West. I think they're the eighth seed. Well, guys, it's been fun, but I just got an emergency page. We've got a problem in lipstick, uh, so I've got to run. Look forward to talking with you guys next time. See you, buddy.
Jeremy, what's the Nuggets win total for the season? So a few weeks ago, I had it at 48 um, and felt confident about their ability to make the playoffs off of that. But with uh, the way that some of these West teams have developed over the past couple of weeks, uh, again, between San Antonio and their injuries, um, between what's going on in Minnesota, um, uh, that's enough to make me bump it up to 50. To everybody in the world, that would sound like a really optimistic standpoint. And and the whole world has gotten on with the Nuggets this offseason. But I'm sure they would consider that optimistic. But I think that's not... um, that's not because I think the Nuggets are better than than they were a few weeks ago. That's because I think the West, the the, the big hitters, just got a little bit worse. Yeah, I'm right with you. Um, I think 51 wins is where I'm, I'm putting it. Um, Ridiculous. Yeah. 51. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm optimistic. I mean, I know we were talking earlier about some some issues they have to iron out um, the defense has to get better they've got to get better against bad teams but i think they take a leap forward this year i really do um i think I we're it. seeing uh the beginnings of a of a serious contender in the west um could be optimistic i am a nuggets fan so it's kind of easy for me to say that but i'm excited about this team and i am uh, pretty geeked for the season, and I, I I think we're going to see good things pending any kind of like really ridiculous injury or something. Oh, that would that would be so killer after we've been this close for two yeah, years in I mean, a row. Part of the reason that I'm really excited about the Nuggets is I think they can survive an injury. Um, they can't survive a season-ending injury to Jokic for sure, but I think they could survive Jokic being out for a month and still be a playoff team for sure. And, and maybe still be competitive. Um, that I think that would depend on when it happens, because our schedule is so lopsided. Mm. Light up front, uh, heavy for the second half. Yeah, it, I mean, it all depends. And who knows? Right now, maybe we're actually dealing with it with this finger injury that he has. Maybe it's a bigger problem than everybody's leading on, and maybe it's nagging him for for a month. Uh, maybe there's something more serious going on. Probably not. But but maybe it does nag him for quite a while. We've seen that happen before. Right. What should we expect from Michael Porter Jr. this year? We shouldn't expect him to help with the success of the team. One thing that I'm expecting is to see him hit the floor at some point. But it's going to have such a small impact. Um, I think that the chances are we see it much later on this season. And at that point, the question even comes up of whether or not, if they're fighting for a playoff spot, whether or not they try including a guy because he missed training camp. There's not even a lot of practice that winds up happening during a season. Um, to try and get him in and in flow could be pretty hard. The reason I think that we will see him hit the floor is because I feel like it's part of the culture that um, and the reputation that Connolly is trying to build for Denver. I don't know. I don't want to say he's specifically going after free agents here, but he's trying to create a, a positive atmosphere where the entire NBA association looks on the Nuggets as a good place to be. So to me, part of that would be showing this guy that 12 other teams passed up. I think I got that right because the Clippers picked twice. 14th. Yeah, 12 other teams. Um, that this guy really has something to offer. And and if they just get him on the floor and show that he's healthy and show that he can play, 
than a free agent who's looking for for a place to go next season who has a Nuggets team that probably just went into the playoffs, maybe even got home court advantage, maybe made it to the second round, now also has this guy who could be one of the greats, one of the top 20 players in the future of the NBA. Um, that, that's, that's a lot going for him. So, so I, I expect that's part of the agenda here. Um, but in the end, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about it. It sounds like it's not so much about the surgery, um, that the surgery part was a success. It comes down to his rehabilitation and, and how he's feeling, um, and, and both his comfort level and the Nuggets comfort level with, with putting him out at a certain point. But you're actually one of the people I've talked to. Um, you've, you've had a, a similar surgery to this, I think. So, so what were your thoughts on, yeah. on this? I don't know that I would describe myself as an athlete, to be honest. But I've seen you out there. Football you know, field, taking you know, people I'm, down. I'm fairly fleet of foot, you know? But mm-hmm. I've never played as a professional athlete. All I know is that uh, I had a spinal fusion a couple years ago. Doctors made it clear to me that being so young and having that kind of surgery that I would be looking at a number of other surgeries throughout the rest of my life. Pretty much they said every 10 years or so, you're probably going to need another surgery because once you lock down um, two vertebrae, it has a ripple effect on the rest of your back. It just will over time because that's not how your back's supposed to work. Um, So I'm really hoping that um, because he's so young that we can at least get a few years out of him where he can be somewhat close to 100%. I, I don't really think we should ever expect 100%, to be honest, but this guy's so good that maybe 80, 85% mm-hmm. is enough to make him a really valuable player on a championship contender. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he's the he's the type of player that plays 65 games a year on average and he has to come out every 15 games for two or three games to rest his back. Um, I think in, in my experience that's been the case where you know, I can deal with um, the muscle tightness and the, uh, the, the, the pain, but it sort of builds over time. And then it gets to a point where I just need to get off it. So when you say that maybe we can expect 80 to 85% out of them, are, are you saying um, like 80% of a season? Because you just said like 60, 65 games. Or are you saying like when he plays, when he's on the court, he's giving 80% of what he can? Because I get the impression that he can give 100%, 100%, 100%, and then boom, he's just down and out. Is I don't know. Wrong? I mean, I suppose it depends on the person, and everybody heals differently, too. And yeah, and again, with him being, um, what is he, 19, 18, yeah. 19? Um, 19, I think. Yeah. I, I guess I'm not sure if that's a positive or a negative. I'm not sure if having this injury so young means he's just going to have continual chronic back problems throughout his twenties and thirties. And that, um, I mean, you just don't want to have back problems period. And as an athlete, for sure, you don't want back back problems. So there's no, none of this is good, but, um, I, I wonder if the fact that he's had two back surgeries already at this young of age, if we'll ever get what he would have been had he not had back issues, I guess is what I mean. That's what I mean by 85%. So I think we take his Kevin Durant ceiling that we heard at the draft and we lower that by 15%. And what does that make him? A pretty darn good player, potentially, yeah, if he can stay on the court. 
we're talking about this being a leap year for the Nuggets in that they they make a statement in the playoffs. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. could be the guy who is. You mentioned we don't need him. We don't need him to 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 make this our leap year. But maybe maybe he is that last piece that we need to be the leap year into a championship. I agree, and that's that's why the Nuggets took a shot on him because three years from now. Um, you have Jokic in his prime, Murray in his prime, Harris in his prime. All these guys are, are aging together. They're hitting their stride. And then you have uh, 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 Michael Porter Jr., a couple years younger, um, who at that point could be scoring 25 a game. Right. He would be the difference maker. Um, he would be the, you know, adding Draymond Green or Kevin Durant to the Warriors that, you know, help catapult them to where they are. But it's a, it's a risk. I mean, we'll see. And that's... Uh, Part of what's so exciting about the Nuggets this year is, you know, I think we we all are pretty confident. The national media seems to all be confident that the Nuggets are going to be good this year. Um, not making the playoffs this year would be a catastrophic failure. For the yeah, Nuggets. we would change everything. And I, for me, this season is a failure if they don't come close to winning the first round or win the first round. Um, a lot of that's going to do with the seeding, of course. I mean, if they finish in the seventh seed and they're playing the Warriors <laughs> in the first round. Eh, it's not going to happen. But if they're in the fourth, fifth seed, and they're playing the Thunder, they're playing, you know, the Jazz, uh, somebody in that range. I really, I really want to see a competitive series, and I want to see them win a series um, for this to really feel like a successful season to me, and and to make me think that this is a championship team that they're building. Give me an obscure prediction for the season. So one thing right now is everybody's on the bandwagon that Jokic has proved that he is taking leadership of the team, which means that his shooting from like the last month of last season is going to continue, which put him as the obvious top scoring option in Denver. I don't know how much of a hot take this is, but I think that Murray is going to be uh, the lean scorer by the end of the season. I have Murray. We're talking about taking a leap. I think Murray's the guy who takes the leap this season and that we're going to see 20 and a half points a game out of him when it's all said and done. And I have Jokic just under that. I He could easily hit 20. I'm just for the sake of keeping things easy. I'm going to say 19 and a half, one point below Murray. So we have Murray at 20 and a half, Jokic at 19 and a half. I mean, not everybody can go up you know, several points a season. We can't have Murray jump up to 22 points a season. Jokic, 22 points a season. Gary Harris, 22 points a season. It's not going to happen. So, um, so it's got to come from somewhere. I think, I think Murray takes a big leap. Honestly, hey, 19 and a half points a season is a step up for Jokic. I think he is the guy when it comes down to it is going to know he's going to have learned that he needs to put some shots up. But I, I think as he wields his way through a game, and I think as Murray progresses as a shooter and figuring out that uh, symbiotic relationship with, with Jokic, that Jokic is going to be using Murray more and more and more. So um, Jokic is the shooter, or, or, or sorry, Jokic is the passer, Murray is the shooter. That is the team that we know. Like, we know that about this team. And I think this year it, it is when those roles are are clearly defined. That's that's the jump I see happening. Yeah. Is that definition of roles. Just to parallel that, um, build on it, I agree with you, and I actually think I'm fine with Jokic scoring what he did last year. He averaged 
Yeah, it was like 18 and a half, right? What's wrong with that? Right. What I would like to see is his assist go from six to seven. Right. Seven and a half, somewhere in there. So I think that's where crazy, he's working, but I want to see it. Oh, it'd be, it'd be amazing. Um, well, if he got to uh, something like 20 and 11 and 7 or something, I think he'd be the first center in history or the second center in history to ever have numbers like that. It's totally within yeah. reach. But, yeah. but if he could get up to seven assists a game or close to that, um, I think we yeah. have a clicking offense. Because uh, I think I, I, I actually like his shot selection and the amount of shots he takes typically. The problem that he's had in the past is that he's sort of shrunk back in the fourth quarter. Right. And guys like Will Barton have taken too many shots. And right. Jokic hasn't taken enough. Or Murray hasn't taken enough. Um, so I think if we... If we just see the when the shots are taken flipped around a little bit, but maybe the same production numbers from Jokic, I'm fine with that. But I, I I really like him as a facilitator. I think we're seeing something totally different. And also, part of why what makes Jokic so great and what allows for the Nuggets to take a leap this year is that they're doing something that no other team is doing and no other team can replicate. And that's part of what was so great for Golden right. State. What really worked exactly. for them. Exactly. Everybody has to adjust to the Nuggets. And that's what you want. And so the more we can emphasize Jokic's role as a distributor and a passer and a playmaker, um, it, it, it's just it's so different. It's so hard for teams to defend. I think that's really what will make the Nuggets separate themselves in the West. How good is Jokic? So ESPN just came out with a list of the top uh, 50 players or 100 players, they have Jokic at 12. Uh, yeah, that's high. Yeah, Slam, uh, they have Jokic at 24, that's which I think low. is laughably low. Um, is he somewhere in the middle? Where, where does he fall for you? How good is Jokic? I say, I say 12, but I'm saying it like... <laughs> Like, back it up, man. Like, like prove, prove that I'm right here. To me, Jokic is in with a tier of players that there's probably 10 of them that you just pick. Pick, pick one based on your preference. But I think right. a lot of the guys from 10 to 20 are uh, – they, they do different things. They have different skills. And so it kind of depends on what skills you preference. Both of us are, are in the camp that we prefer smart basketball players. To freaky mm-hmm. athletes. This is my problem right. with Russell Westbrook. He's a freaky athlete. Puts up a ton of numbers and loses in the first round of the playoffs every year. Um, because he doesn't know how to play basketball. Um, the game of basketball. Um, and Jokic is not that guy. He's a guy that does get the game. He makes other players better around him. And now, for some reason, a basketball haiku by Nicholas Herzog. The West will be won by the Golden State again. We have better beer. Uh, We've already said that the Nuggets not making the playoffs this year would be a complete catastrophe. What is the worst possible outcome for the season that we can imagine? We miss the playoffs. We All right, let me pin this down. Let me pin this down a little bit more. So, disaster for the for the Nuggets would be not making the playoffs. 
what would happen for the Nuggets to not make the playoffs? What would have to go wrong for this team to not make the playoffs? If 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 we have no solution for our perimeter defense, and if we have no solution for um, the way guys are able to cut us up on defense, to me that that's how we fall. To me, if we're that twenty fifth and up defense, if we never solve the problem of how to shut guys down, no, the most beautiful offense in the world won't get us into the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I I think it starts on defense and ends on defense as the problem for this team. Um, Stuff has to be shored up. Jokic has to get better on defense. Even though he's not as bad as he gets panned sometimes, especially in the national media who doesn't look very closely at this, um, he isn't great. And there's definitely room for improvement there. Um, I, I think we need to see more... A team defense as a unit, Millsap has to get back to being a dominant defensive force in the center. Uh, we saw some flashes of that in the preseason. Actually, um, some really great defensive and stretches. We've seen a little bit of that last year, but we need a healthy Millsap to really complement Jokic on the defensive end, and which is why he's brought in. And so we mm-hmm. need to we need him to earn his contract and be the stopper in the middle. Um, you know, other than disastrous injuries, I, I really, I think that's the only thing that's going to hold this team back. Honestly, I think they're too deep. I think they have too much talent and it's young talent that should just improve this year. So uh, I think it, it, you know, may even just be a matter of a commitment to the effort required to be a good defensive team too. That could be what makes or breaks this season. All right. So. All things go well this year for the Nuggets. What's their ceiling? Oh, it's high. Oh, it's really high. So, that's it. How do we... How do we finish? Well, I'm already getting a beer, so... get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon.